Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So today we're moving to the uh, end of Matthew chapter 6. So we're moving through the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a passage I particularly love. There's a, there's a verse in here that's been one of my verses that I stick in my head and keep meditating on and I have done since I was a teenager. And I find it says something profound about some of, some of the Bible is that you keep looking at it and it keeps unpacking in your life over and over again. And so I believe today whether you're, you know, you're just searching or you're really been following Jesus for a long time, just expect that God's going to unpack something again for you maybe in ways you've never seen before well for me it's always in ways I've never seen do you ever have those revelations where you've got something you've known and then you look at it and it's like it's the first time like is it oh that's amazing was I even saved you know it's like that amazing revelation hits you and uh, because your salvation your knowledge of Jesus is an ongoing transformation and it's an exciting thing so I may that happen to all of us today so let's pray for that Father, thank you for all of us gathered here today. You love each one of us immeasurably. We thank you for that. And Father, I pray for each one of us today. You give us a greater picture of your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love towards each one of us. And may we see things that we've never seen before, regardless of how old or young we are, regardless of how long we've been on this journey of faith. May we see more of you and your power and your beauty than we've ever seen before. Thank you, Father, that you understand the depths of our beings and you long to speak to us just where we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what do you worry about? Your mind is always going on something. And truly, you only have to turn on the media to, um, to find something to worry about. So what do you worry about? And uh, don't give the answer. No, I'm not worried about anything because I think, uh, or maybe Edna would say that because <laughs> most people will worry about something. And uh, what is it? You know, you could be worried about the war in Ukraine and what's going to happen from that. You could be worried about Chinese naval bases being set up around the world. You could be worried about um, rising interest rates or the price of petrol and um groceries and you could be worried about those things but what is it that wakes you up in the night you know when you wake up in the night and you're worried about something it could be your finances 
I would find generally what wakes you up in the night is not some global thing but something that affects you personally. Would you agree? Something that is a, a personal thing. It could be your how you're going to make ends meet. It could be relationships. It could be a situation where, that you're working on. But there's things that are very, very personal to you that you need somehow or you feel somehow you've got to solve it. And you don't know what to do about it. And you worry. And so think about what it is for you because what it is for you is really, really important. What it is for someone else is not as important. And the thing about worry is that you do you do, do it. We all, we all do it. And the solution is not just to say the first half of the story, don't worry. Graham learnt that very early in our marriage. You know when you say to someone, I'm really worried, and they say, oh, I wouldn't worry. doesn't help. I still remember the street we were driving on in Waratah West when we had that conversation. So because what, what's happening when you worry is that you need a solution. The problem is, and the other person can't always give you the solution. The solution might be that you are worried about your money and the other person can't say, well, here's the money that you need because they may not have it. So you're worried about it. I remember um, once when our son Josh was about 16 and he and I were driving to, these interesting little things that stick in your head, we're driving to Coles at Waratah and I was worried about our money. And I said to him, I'm really worried about our money at the moment. It's really, really tight. And he said, look how, look how far we've come and God's always provided. I don't understand why you're worried. A bit humiliating when your child says that to you. But uh, you always want your children to grow up and speak into your life. So uh, I, he waited in the car, I ran in and got something. And as I was walking around the supermarket, I felt God saying, you need to listen to him. Haven't I always provided for you? So we got back in the car and I said, you're right. Sorry. And he said, oh, did you have a wake-up call in the supermarket? I said, I did, actually. I did, thanks to you. I did. But things like strange things worry you. And what we have to understand is that Jesus just doesn't say, don't worry. He actually gives you an alternative. Like I was worrying last Tuesday night because um, I'd been off sick and um, every night I would just go to bed and fall asleep because I was sick and didn't have to get up early the next day, except for Tuesday night when um, I had to come in on Wednesday to film Church Online and, um, and I was still feeling sick. So I'm lying in bed worrying about how I'm going to get up early in the morning and feel good and be able to speak well enough on Church Online. And what's more, last Sunday I was sick so I watched myself and I looked sick. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting in my lounge room blowing my nose thinking, you look dreadful. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm thinking... How am I going to make myself look like I'm not sick? So I'm lying in bed worrying about this, okay? And the result is I can't get to sleep. So I said to God, please help me. And I heard God really clearly saying, okay, stop grumbling. But, okay, so then I started praising God for everything and asleep in a couple of minutes. There's the secret to how to get to sleep, by the way. You start thanking God for everything that comes into your head. This will come out later on in the message. But see, we all have those little things, don't we? Um, that we worry about. Then you have big things that you worry about. That little thing of um, sleeping the night, I would have forgotten about it except I've told you all now, so I will probably never forget that because what you talk about you tend to remember. But here we have Jesus giving us the antidote. And why is he doing that? Because what we're seeing in the Sermon Amount is Jesus unpacking the human condition, getting down to those things that we all share, that we all agree with. Like if we pass the microphone around and everyone was bold enough, we could all say something that we're worried about 
but we probably don't want to say what it is because the things that we're really worried about are very personal. So therefore we don't, and that's why they stay internally and it's hard to talk to people about them sometimes. And sometimes if you do talk, no one has the answer for you anyway. Like I've got a difficult relationship and sometimes no one has the answer for you in that situation. But here we have Jesus saying, okay, I know this happens and I care. So I want to give you the antidote. I want to give you something different because the thing is about your head, see worry happens in your mind and your mind never clicks off. You can't stop it and you go to sleep and sometimes you dream about the things that have happened in the day or the things that you're thinking about and therefore your head is, it's always happening and sometimes people try to stop it by um, through substance abuse just to stop thinking and then we get judgmental on people because they do that rather than looking and saying maybe there is true trouble in their soul and um, we could help. As followers of Jesus, we could help with this. And sometimes it's not substance abuse, sometimes it's something else like spending money or just never letting there be silence in your life so that your mind doesn't have to think. But Jesus wants us to find the answer to this because he knows that we worry. And so he says this in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, when he um, uses this word life here, it's not just your physical life. The word for, for life there comes from a word that means your soul, your inner person. And so Jesus is encapsulating you, you as an entire person. He's not separating body, soul, spirit out like that. He's saying everything that happens to you and is, is sort of plays into your soul and your soul plays into your life. It's all very intricately woven and when he says, do not worry about your life, he's actually talking about the real you. He's great in getting down to the depths of you. And that's really what we worry about. Everything that you worry about is really about how you flourish or how the people you love most will flourish in life because they are intricately part of you. The people that you love are an intricate part of you, of your community, of your life. And you do, and you do care for them and, so you, and you do worry about them. And Jesus t uses this word, when he says don't worry, when this was translated back in the King James Version like hundreds of years ago to English, it was take no thought. So it's kind of been played around with a little bit. But it comes from a, a word of, um, Greek word is merimnate, which means not to be overly anxious about something. But the word merimnate is a little bit like, it doesn't translate to this, but it makes me think of marinate. In fact, if you, if you type that word into your computer, the spell check will change it into marinate. So think of it word as marinate. What is your brain marinating on? And it will consume you. Have you ever been marinating on something so much that someone's talking and you actually haven't heard what they're saying? Well, I've done that. Probably not everyone else does that, but I can do that about anything, good or bad, just go off with the fairies and it's a delightful place to be sometimes. But your mind will be marinating on something. And so he's talking about things that really are about your soul. And this is actually written not to people who have an abundance and you want more and more and more, just normal living people. Jesus is talking about your ordinary, everyday life. And then he says this in verse 26, Are you not much more valuable than they? He compares you to birds and to grass. And he's saying you are more valuable. So his first thing that he's bringing in to us, this, with worry, is the value that we have, that we see God has for ourselves. 
This is a value problem. Worry is actually a value problem. How valuable are you to God? And, and situations in the world can sometimes make you feel that you're not valuable to God. Sometimes you hear people say, well, we've all said it, you know, I prayed and prayed and this didn't happen. And you translate it as um, not valuable to God. So you actually, Jesus is coming here to say, regardless of what you're going through, you are valuable to God and he has a much bigger picture for you. And so he's bringing in this whole thing of value. So when you think of the things that you're worried about, is there a God who loves you enough to bring you through those situations, to answer your prayers, to care about you, to resolve situations, to bring peace? Is there a God who, is, who values you that much? And Jesus goes on to say this, If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now when he says you of little faith, it's not a put down. It's not saying you're hopeless. What he's saying is there's a bigger picture here to the human condition and you, you can have trust in this God who loves you and all you have to do is trust that he cares about every intricate little part of your life, every little part of your life. And then he says, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, two, two really important things here. Firstly, the word pagans, sometimes we see the pagans. So we, we come to read these things with kind of this um, legalistic, self-righteous attitude and we have to demolish that, okay? So he's not saying you're great and the pagans are bad. That's, the word pagans here actually comes from the word ethne, which is where we get our word ethnic, which actually means other tribes, other people groups are running after these things. You are as well. But what he's saying is that's human nature to need these things. I'm not saying it's not human nature. He says your heavenly father knows that you need them. So he's not saying God is saying you shouldn't worry about those things and you shouldn't need those things. So sometimes people have translated that as to be really spiritual. You should never want clothes. You should never want money. You should never want provision. You kind of have to self-flagellate and be miserable all your life. It's not what Jesus is saying here at all. He's saying your heavenly father actually knows that you need them and you are valuable and you care and he cares. So when he's saying the pagans or other groups run out of after these things, what he's saying is there's people who don't know the God who loves them. Therefore, they do have to find a way in their head to solve the things. But you you know the God who loves you. So for us sitting here today, wherever we are in this journey of this, God would say to you today, I love you. I'm actually interested in all those little things that you are thinking about right now. If I'm interested in the grass looking beautiful and then it's mown and it's thrown away, if I'm looking at the birds, if I love every little bird and created them beautifully and I care about each one and I know when every sparrow falls... How much more valuable are you? The problem is we don't see how valuable we are to Jesus. We don't see how valuable his love is for us. You know, Jesus came and did this. He came and revealed what God was like in the flesh and then revealed the true nature of God. Remember, God is love and he revealed his true nature by giving his life on the cross for you and then rising from the dead for you and he's saying to you in a loud and clear voice you are valuable and your worry comes from a sense of not understanding how valuable you are and when you understand how valuable you are you start to think differently so 
this is the verse that I've loved to meditate on, to marinate on. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When I first started to meditate on this verse, I was a uni student and I used to walk to uni and I would go over and over and over this in my head and ask God, help me to understand what this really means. How do I actually seek your kingdom and your righteousness? And the more I unpacked it, the more I saw how profound this verse actually is. There's so much treasure hidden in this verse. What I'm about to give you will only briefly unpack it. I encourage you to take it home, read it in other translations, to ask God to reveal to you what it really, really means because truly what Jesus is giving us here is another key to the human condition that pulls us down and leading us into the solution that brings abundant life. It's all hidden in here. And when you start to unpack this, you'll understand, you'll start to see, every time you read the scriptures, you'll see that this is a theme that's woven through the scriptures from the beginning to the end. So I encourage you, Matthew 6, 33, learn it off by heart and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you unpack it. And he will do that for you. So let's see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, okay, you do worry because you don't feel valuable and you don't know how much I care for you. Um, so this is what you do instead of worry. You can't shut your brain down, but you can do something else with your brain. You have a brain. You're meant to use it. You're meant to think about things. You're meant to marinate on things. And all these things that you are worried about are things that are God wants you to like he's not saying he's not saying you can't have money you can't have food you can't have clothes you can't have a, an abundant life he wants you to have those things it's just that you're not going to get them by worrying he even says that we'll add one hour to your life now you can't do a controlled experiment on that live twice and see if your worry added one hour so you just have to take God at his word in that it doesn't add an hour to your life and how many things have you solved by actually worrying about them and yet we keep doing it? So and the reason we keep doing it is because we don't know what else to do except to worry. Firstly, seek his kingdom. So let's unpack what that really means to seek his kingdom. Now, if you want to seek, if you want to find another kingdom to live in, you really have to have, pack up your bags and move there. I was um, in Sydney on Friday and uh, Thursday was Bastille Day, and so there's four days of um, celebrating French National Day down in Sydney and down at Circular Quay. There's all these little white tents set up having with a French festival, the, the red, white and blue flags. And so I went there with two of my kids and we ate macaroons and chocolate and enjoyed it. But um, it wasn't France. We like France. Like, I love the French language and... I've got a friend who's French and I said to her once, it's just the French accent, it's just so romantic. She's is it? Like, it's just her accent. It's like someone saying this. The, has anyone ever said to you, they've said it to me, I just love the Australian accent. I think, why on earth do you? I find it an embarrassing one. But anyway, but so we, we sort of, we did this and it was fun. And we started to imagine Paris and uh, the French Alps. But you know what? It wasn't France, it was Circular Quay. And uh, not everyone in the food stalls even had a French accent, which was slightly disappointing. And um, then there was a Bavarian schnitzel stall there as well. I'm not sure why that was there. I mean, I like schnitzels and I love Germany, but it just wasn't French. And so I realised this was like, it made you think of France. 
it made us all say, let's go to France. But it wasn't France. And everyone wasn't speaking French. Some were. Because if I really want to experience France, like going to Circular Quay and eating macaroons is not really France. I have to pack up my bags and go to France. Brush up on my French. Follow the rules of France. Be with French people. Eat real French food made in France. As my French friend said to me once, have you ever had champagne? And I said, yes, she was it grown in Champagne? I said, no, it was grown in Australia. It wasn't champagne. It has to come from Champagne to be champagne. It has to be grown in Camembert. Cheese has to be made in Camembert to actually be Camembert cheese. So if it comes from Tasmania, she says it's not Camembert. So you have to go to France to experience France. And to seek his kingdom, you actually have to change the way you live and move into his kingdom. But to understand his kingdom, you have to understand what that really means. Because what is God's kingdom really like? Well, Jesus came to the earth to show us what his kingdom is like. Because we have sometimes a very skewed version of what his kingdom is like because there is this notion that God is is harsh and cruel, but God is actually God who wants you to flourish. And so in his kingdom, he came... Jesus came in bringing his kingdom, bringing heaven into earth so we could see what his kingdom looks like. And what did we see when Jesus was on the earth? We saw a man who walked around and healed people, raised people from the dead, brought the people in from the margins, the people who were despised, the people who rejected, the people who nobody wanted to hang around with. He brought them all into the centre of his love. He forgave people. He took away condemnation. He challenged religious spirits that placed legalism on people. And then he showed us what his nature is truly like when he gave his life on the cross for each one of us. That's what his kingdom looks like. And then he proved his power by being raised from the dead. And so in his kingdom, what do we learn? In his kingdom, there is grace for all people. In his kingdom, there is abundant kindness. There is things that there's everything that we don't deserve everything that we don't deserve in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there's power to overcome the worst situation because he rose Jesus, he raised Jesus from the dead. There is this incredible power. And so if we want to move into that kingdom, we pack up our bags and we move into that kingdom and we follow everything he asks us to do, even if we don't quite understand it because we've seen his love as he hung on the cross and he rose from the dead. We've seen that. So we trust everything that he says And so we move into his kingdom. And when he says, do this or do this, we follow it. And we don't try to work out ourselves why it wouldn't work. Have you ever been driving along a road and the speed limit's 60 and you think, well, that's ridiculous. 80 would be fine on this road. Has anyone ever had those thoughts? But if you drive at 80, there'll be consequences. And it could just be that there's a policeman around the bend, but it could be that you discover actually the road wasn't safe for 80. There was a reason why someone chose 60 for this. And um, if I'd stuck on 60, I wouldn't have had the accident that I just had. Or if the other person had stuck on 60, we wouldn't have had the accident that we just had. And so sometimes we know what we're like. You look at ourselves, we see rules. and we think, well, that's ridiculous. I could do that anyway. I could do that and I could be safe. And if you're moving into God's kingdom and he says, don't do this because it's not safe. It's not don't do this because you're you know, there's huge punishment coming, but don't do this because you're not safe because you will bring something upon yourself that you don't want if you do this. So we move into his kingdom trusting in his love for us. 
He understands the depth of your being way more than you do. So do what he says and everything will work out well. But then to help understand this a bit more, he says, and seek his righteousness. Now, this is a key thing to understanding here. So sometimes when we hear this word, seek his righteousness, we translate this into our minds as try really hard to be good. It doesn't say that at all. It says you go looking for his righteousness and his righteousness is a gift. So when you go looking for it, you're not looking for how can I make myself better. You're looking for his righteousness, his righteousness, which was poured out for you on the cross. His righteousness, the word righteousness is actually in the Greek word comes from a word that also means justice. And his justice is this, that he paid the penalty for all your sins and you really want his righteousness. You don't want your own. Your own righteousness is you trying really hard to prove that you're a worthwhile person, which is really your own righteousness is trying you trying to prove your value. And you don't have to prove it. He's already shown you your value when he died on the cross for you. That's your value. And you just accept it. Weak and as, as fallen and as broken and as messed up as I am, I want his righteousness because he showed me my value and he paid for my sin and he paid for my failures. And because of that, I do have value. That's the righteousness I want because this righteousness means right relationship with God and with people. And truly, if you go seeking that every day, this is what you do. You wake up in the morning and all the things are going on in your head about what's going to happen. And then you think of his righteousness, which is his grace and his mercy and his love towards you. And you meditate on that. Do you realize that you are valuable? All your sins have been paid for. Some of the, some, some of the things you worry about are because of things that you've done and you think, if only I'd done this or this or this or made this choice or this choice and then think, you can forget that thought because you live in his grace and his righteousness and he deals with everything. He works everything together for good. You can think about that. You can think about other people and if they'd done this, well, you can forget that thought because you live in his righteousness and he works all things together all things together for good this is his righteousness the apostle paul in galatians writes about it like this he says but when god who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me was pleased to reveal his son in me i was reading this the other day and i got stuck on those um those few words to reveal his son in me so you have this this vertical relationship you you meditate on his love. Think of the cross. Think of his resurrection. Think of all your sins being washed away. Think of your value and that you didn't earn any of it. If you think you earned any of it, then you've got, there's, there's going to be a roadblock for you with this. But if you come to him with this open hand saying, I have nothing to bring, absolutely nothing to bring, if you come with any self-righteousness, you will miss out on the fullness of his love. But if you come with a knowledge of your fallen nature then you are a recipient of his love. And then it says, he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, the word preach here doesn't mean kind of like get out and give a sermon, but it's like spread forth this good news in me. So think of it like this. Right relationship with God means that you are filled with him. You're filled with his Holy Spirit. He loves you in this intimate relationship. And then Jesus is revealed in you. You don't have to preach a sermon. People just experience him in you because this righteousness means right relationship with God and right relationship with people because you are so focused on what you are doing for them. Think of Jesus 
And Jesus was conscious of his relationship with God and how he loved people. And never hear Jesus complain about how people loved him. Even when people denied him, he didn't sit down and give them a lecture. He continued to love them. The Apostle Paul goes on to say this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Just, just reflect on that for a moment. Because of his love and value for you, he fills you. He lives in you and everyone experiences you. This is the call to the church. This is the call to you as an individual follower of Jesus. This is the major call that he's asked you to do, to be filled with him, to be in right relationship with him, which is an intimate, beautiful relationship by his Holy Spirit, and then for people to experience that same love. That's the call for us as the church, that everyone you encounter should experience the same love that you experience with Jesus giving his life for you on the cross. Every person. It's as simple and as difficult as that. That we are to be filled to overflowing with his love. And every person we encounter experiences that same love. That's how people encounter Jesus to begin with. And that's what draws them. It's through you. So you can be very, very conscious of how others are treating you. We're all very conscious of that. But we experience him so that others can experience him through us. And Paul says this, The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's faith in the one who loves him and he gave himself for him. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. How profound and beautiful is this? That the love of God that fills you will be revealed. And the Apostle John was one of Jesus' close friends and the only disciple who was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother when he died. He'd walked with Jesus and he'd seen his love, but then he saw the full expression of his love as he knelt at the foot of the cross. And he saw him there giving his life and taking the sins of, of anyone, of everyone. And so he says, anyone who loves their brother, this is John says this, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble, 1 John 2.10. What he does in, in his epistles, John, in his letters, is unpack what it really means to know God. You'll be known by how you love people because if you really love him and experience your grace, it will flow out. And this is what it means to seek the kingdom of God, to live under that and his righteousness. If you focus on that every day, it is the antidote to worry. Firstly, you come to him. Righteousness means you're in right relationship with him and he cares for you and he works all things together for good. Regardless of what you're facing today, he cares. The people you're worried about in your life, he cares for them. You can come to him in prayer, but you can have this peace that he who, as it says in um, Galatians 1, he who, for, sorry, Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will bring it through to the day of completion. You can have this beautiful trust in him. And that's why Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Seeking his kingdom means living totally under his rule and reign in your life. And it's a good kingdom. It's a kingdom where everything flourishes, where the dead come to life, where the marginalized are drawn back in, 
where there is forgiveness and grace, where there is no condemnation and no accusation, where there is mercy and where there is kindness. That's the kingdom we want to seek. And if you want to seek that kingdom in the world, you know, there's problems in the world, but it all starts in your head and your heart and every individual person on the planet in their head and their heart that if you live in the value that Jesus showed you on the cross and you know you are loved and you take that to others, that's how you seek his kingdom. If you want to seek his kingdom, love people the way he loves us. That's how you seek his kingdom. If you want to see the world transformed, love people the way he loves us. He showed us only one way to bring his kingdom to the world, and that's loving people as he loved us. So every situation you walk into, knowing that God is love, you say, what would the God of love do in this situation? What would Jesus do? Imagine Jesus is standing next to you. Would he say what you're about to say? Would he encourage or would he condemn? Would he bless or would he accuse? That's how we bring the kingdom into this world. And Jesus is saying, if you do these things, focus on this and you will find you have everything you need for life. And then he finishes off by saying this, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You think, oh, no. So you mean that I can't work this out today and get the formula today and then tomorrow everything's great because that's how I would like it to be. And um, I've sometimes found when I meditate on this and I feel like God lifts all the cares and worries off and then three days later I feel it come on again. I try to remember what I thought three days ago to remember that. What was that revelation I had three days ago? And I feel like God say, that's your old revelation. Start afresh every day. And there's a verse that says his mercies in you every morning. Wake up every morning and he will give you the revelation you need for that day. And he will walk with you and talk with you that day. And by the end of the day, you will have done well and you will have failed. And you come and you bring it all to him and you get up the next day and you start again. And you're gradually transformed into his likeness. And Jesus says, if you do this, if you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, everything else will be added to you and do it one day at a time doesn't mean you don't plan for the future, but you don't do it with anxiety. So I just want to finish off with this prayer called the Sarum Prayer from 1558. A good little prayer to remember. The worship team can come up now while we focus on this. It says, God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and at my departing. So as we pray this, we'll pray it, but we'll pray it very slowly. And as you do, think of the Holy Spirit coming into your head and the way you see things. And, you know, I don't know what you need today. I don't know what you need to hear today. Like I said the other night when I was lying in bed worrying, the Holy Spirit said to me, stop grumbling. And um, that was just for me and I needed to. But you need something. He may say something totally different to you. He probably will. He said to me, start praising me. And that's what I needed. But he will say something that you need. And if you think, but you know, I'm new at this. I can't hear God. You can. You're created with the ability to hear God by his Holy Spirit speaking in you. You can. So don't doubt that because you are valuable. So when we say, God be in my head and in my understanding, we're praying, Holy Spirit, help me to see things as you see things see myself as you see me see others as you see them God be in my eyes and in my looking help me see the world and my situation through your eyes 
God be in my mouth and in my speaking. May everything I do and say be God speaking. Words of encouragement and love. God be in my heart and in my thinking. Transform my mind so that I could think from this higher plane that Jesus would think from. And God be at my end and at my departing. You don't know when your end is. So you want to make sure that you're always in this beautiful relationship with him because you are an eternal being. And we live each day as if it was the last. So we'll pray this really slowly and I'll give you opportunity just to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And to say, to, and say, come Holy Spirit, as we pray this, come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh with your love and your mercy and your grace and your kindness. Fill us afresh with your power. And we pray this, God, be in my head and in my understanding. And you can lift all your cares and worry to him. Ask him to remind you of how valuable you are. He's got it all under control. He longs to bless more than you do. God, be in my eyes and in my looking. May we look at others as being needing to receive his love. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. May my words bring life. God, be in my heart and in my thinking. May I love like you love. And God be at my end and at my departing. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.